I'm every daughter who is born from a girl. I'm every song that the sun dances to. I'm every wind that touches your face. I am every woman who has ever lived. I am every daughter who is born from a girl. I'm every song that the sun dances to. I'm every wind that touches your face. I'm every beat, every sound, every rhythm my grandmother speaks of. I'm every poem born. I am the pride, the pride in my mother's eyes. I'm every dream, every step, every story untold. I am rain tears, the melody of life. Dumelang, good afternoon. Hello, my name is Napo Mashiani. I'm a mother, a partner, a director, a playwright, poet, performer, and a very proud South African woman. And like all the other sister friends out there in the world, I too am affected by the issue of gender-based violence. Perhaps the most pressing problem we must confront as society in this contemporary times. Today, Banabesu, we are going to confront this complex issue from both a human and societal perspective, as well as economic perspective, because cognitive financial issues and the issue of gender-based violence do intersect. On top of that, it is no accident that our spaces session today corresponds with 16 days of activism against gender-based violence mm. in South Africa. Just a trigger warning, some of the issues we're going to discuss today will be of a delicate nature and may be disturbing to some. While we'll be trying by all means and all time to tackle these subjects with sensitivity, we do need to offer a warning to those out there who may find this particular discussion and its nature difficult to hear or to really bear with. I'm not alone. I'm with excellent guests. Three <clears throat> phenomenal, powerful, game-changing women who all have important contribution to make in adding to our important conversation about gender-based violence and how we as a society can tackle it. The first person who is part of my guest list is Mara Glenny who is the founder of TEARS, a leading nonprofit organization combating sexual violence. She's also a survivor of a life-threatening traumatic event. My second guest is another sister friend, Romantha Buotha, who is a journalist and a community leader for Dope Black, which is a community organization that is designed to improve the outcome of Black people globally. She will give her opinion on the link between financial dependence and then, and then gender relations and discuss where the issue of gender-based violence intersects with other factors within our society and within our personal relationships. My third guest, Kitineo Zamela, who considers the issue of gender-based violence close to her heart. Dino will speak to the complex links between financial dependence and intimate partner violence. 
to all my guests, I want to say thank you so much for joining us to this important Twitter Spaces session. If you're out there and you would like to join this particular conversation, please use the hashtag hearhervoice. Hashtag hearhervoice. Or do tag at StandardBankZA on Twitter. At StandardBankZA on Twitter. Um, Banabeso, ladies and gentlemen, the question that we all are going to address and that we often want to deal with is, can we make progress in the fight against gender-based violence? My take, and within the hashtag of Hear Voice, is that, yes, it can be. We can make progress in fighting collectively and collaboratively when it comes to gender-based violence. I wouldn't want to take too much of time. I want to start bringing in my guests. And I would like to first invite Mara. And really, Mara, throw in one of the first questions that inspired you to open your organization. Can you share please with me and the rest of our community and society, what was the journey following the traumatic event that happened to you, which led to you starting an organization called Tears? Hello, everybody. What a privilege to be able to share with you today. And one of my absolute views in life is that if women stand together, we can change the world. So we need men to walk with us, of course, but together we can change the world. So my story starts that I never really understood abuse. I think most people could identify with that. You see life around you. You see things happening, but it wasn't defined. It only really was with the movement of the Me Too movement where people really got a definition. So in my case, I was married and I realized that I had an abusive marriage the whole time, financially, verbally and emotionally. But my catalyst really happened when I discovered that my husband was having an affair and I gave him an ultimatum. At this time, he waterboarded me, which nearly cost me my life. And suddenly everything that I thought I stood for, everything I thought I valued seemed to evaporate before my eyes. And like and many women in this country, suddenly you don't know where you belong anymore because what we do unwittingly is we make our lives around our family and we forget about self-care. So I guess my message today is I have survived, I have thrived and I get up every day to have the privilege of doing the most amazing, amazing job. Can you imagine getting up every morning and knowing that today you'd be able to help somebody change their lives? So I feel privileged that I was on that long journey, which started with my personal abuse, and I'm in a position today of helping people. You see, when I went to the police station to ask for help, they told me to come back on Monday, and I was scared and alone and sh ashamed, and I was desperate for help. 
So what I did is I started when I became well, which took me quite a long while. I started an organization where on your phone, anywhere in South Africa for free, you can dial this number, which is star 134 star 7355 hash. On that number, you'll get the three nearest places that can assist you in your geographical area. And then some two years after we'd been running tears, we added a service for emergency. So on that number, you can also request emergency assistance. Because I don't think that as women, we learn how to support others enough. Because I was so lonely and ashamed when I got abused. And I'd been very badly physically hurt. And people couldn't look me in the eye as if I'd perpetrated the the violence on myself. So one of the things that we need to do if we've been abused, number one, is get help. And number two, from our lesson and from watching other women, is realize that you can't do it alone, but neither can they. So what a privilege it is to be here today and meet all of you women, and of course there are a few men, and have the privilege of sharing a little bit of my journey. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mara. I I, I do believe that um, as a fellow sister friend, just the tenacity and the resilience that you present here today and being able to use something that could have been a traumatic experience and turning it into a blessing that really allows other women who might be going through the same thing to to really know what to do and to really not feel alone. I would also like to bring my second guest, Romantha Buota. Romantha, I would like to find out from you, uh, especially when it comes to Dope Black, which mm -hmm. hopes to improve the lives of Black people globally. How do issues evolve, involving and probably including the treatment of women and children intersect with this particular mission when it comes to your organization? Thank you, Napo, and thank you so much for everyone who's uh, taken time on a Friday afternoon to listen to this very important discussion. Um, Mara said it so beautifully towards the end of, of her first point is that we can't do it alone. I think I think the first premise of this conversation should be that the problem is not ours as women or people that identify as women. Um, the pro the core problem is not ours to to fix. The core problem is not ours to heal, but we do have a sense of understanding that you cannot do it alone. Even coming from a traumatic experience like Mara's, uh, very often people acknowledge gender-based violence as those kinds of violent behaviors from a partner. Um, and we all know that it's much more than that. That's why we are here speaking about a topic that is not necessarily in the forefront when it comes to gender-based violence conversations. Um, and so at Dope Black and the part or the community that I run, which is Dope Black Women, um, we've we've realized in the beginning that trying to address issues of violence against us, um, trying to address issues of safety, issues of respect, you can't really do it 
without involving men. <laughs> and I actually saw someone comment on the, the ad asking, are there any men involved in this conversation? And I do feel that, yes, there is a, a, a something to be said about men speaking for themselves. But as victims and as people who are victimized every single day, as it, it is important for us to keep to keep reporting and to I think to keep it in the spotlight that these are our lived experiences and there are a myriad of issues that go under gender-based violence. So to get to my point, community is important. You cannot sit there and isolate yourself and think that you will one morning wake up and you will feel like, okay, this is it. This is the day. The thing with abuse is it does not happen once. It's a gradual, systematic breaking down of the psyche. And I'm sure Mara can attest that the waterboarding was just a pinnacle. It started probably in the beginning. So it is a, it is a psychological chokehold on victims. And it's not as easy as saying, oh, you, you deserve better. You just need to wake up and realize that you deserve better. It's not that easy. Amen. And perhaps maybe we'll... We'll get to that, um, you know, what, what are some of the tips. But as long as you remember that once you are ready, that there are people, whether it's your family, whether it's, it's legal recourse, whether it's, let's say, a group of women like dope black women, um, there are communities available there. And very often I find that it's easier for women to speak about their issues. I mean, we can just see if we're having a tiff with our husbands or our boyfriends or whatever. It's very easy for you to go and speak to someone that's not genuinely your best friend because we feel that we are going to be judged. We feel like if I go to Napo again with this problem, she's going to be like, but girl, I told you two weeks ago, leave that man. And so because we also feel like we're a burden at, at certain points, as victims, you you perhaps find it a little bit better speaking to people who don't know your background, who don't necessarily know how many times this man has beaten you. So um, yes, community is important, and just just the sense of being able to be a woman, not a mother, not a daughter, not a friend, just being in a space where you know that people are there to to better your outcomes and collectively better everyone else's outcome and i think that's that's my point mm. on on what is needed mm. no thank you so much um Romanta. and and just something also that you said in terms of um and between you and mara about community you know there's an african saying that says it takes a village to raise a child mm -hmm. and i feel like as we progress and deal with issues that affect society it will also take all of us to to create change yeah. to bring about um you know to instigate this kind of conversations and beyond um just us as women or as sister friends or or, or you know as mothers as sisters that we really need to include um our partners our uncles mm. our fathers and and etc you know i want you to join the conversation and and as somebody who comes from uh, you know, with a little bit of um, or possibly a vast uh, experience in terms of fi finances. And, and I suppose it's also why I value this conversation organized by Standard Bank ZA when it comes to finding the link between financial issues and issues of gender-based violence, right? Often we don't think how linked and how they intersect. 
can you please just give us an overview of what do you see, what do you know, what can we reflect on when it comes to this, you know, financial issues and issues of gender-based violence? Thank you, Napo, and thank you to everyone who's made time uh, to join us. Um, so, Napo, I think, you know, sometimes financial abuse isn't as obvious as, you know, you, you can point and show this is physical abuse. Um, emotional abuse is a bit more insidious. And then um, as an extension of that, financial abuse comes into it. And I think when whenever we talk about financial abuse or dynamics where one partner has a lot more economic control, we often you know, want to reference um, very transactional sort of um, typically um, what we see on TV and movies um, and what social media, um, you know, sort of promotes as this is what financial abuse looks like. Um, but, you know, the reality of it is it it is a very insidious form of abuse, much like, you know, sometimes you don't realize you're being emotionally abused um, because a person might not be swearing at you, but they just chip away at you in the smallest of ways. And when we think about financial abuse, you know, you might think it's just complete control over your money, um, lack of information, not giving you enough. And uh, definitely those are things. But it also looks like career sabotage. Um, it looks like academic sabotage. When you are wanting as a woman, as an individual, to empower yourself and move forward and lift yourself economically by getting an education, which gives you access to better job opportunities, by, um, you know, committing yourself to your work so that you can get that promotion, and your partner actively sabotages those attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll create situations in the home. They'll they'll create the most flimsy of excuses, the most ridiculous, and they'll threaten you with the relationship, with, um, you know, affairs, cheating, as a mechanism to control you. And that is largely an emotional abuse problem, but it ultimately, it ultimately undermines your attempt at finding financial stability. And obviously there are other things, you know, partners who um, will spend money, who refuse to be accountable. So if you're, you're, you've you decided, both of you, you're going to run this joint household, but only you are the one who, who always has to justify why you need 50 rand, 100 rand, money for hair, money for this. Whereas your partner goes, spends things and, and you know, they get away with it. And, um, and sometimes, you know, you might think, okay, but how does, how does, you know, career sabotage, how does somebody sabotaging your education look like? We could be here building something and we've agreed that, you know, we sit, we, we discuss family finances. And I say, I would like to con- complete my degree or start a new degree. And then my partner says, no, we don't have money for that. Two weeks later, They've bought a new pair of shoes, but we didn't have money for my education, but there's money for your shoes. And then when you try and ask or try and, you know, confront them about it, you're dismissed, you're beaten, you're silenced. They they, they just find a way to justify why you don't deserve that which you need to move forward. And, you know, it's it you don't really see it, but money is also a very big tool that abusers use to isolate you. And that's what abusers do, right? They isolate you. They cut you off from your friends because they know your friends will be chirping in your ear, leave, leave, leave. Mm -hmm. They isolate you in so many ways, but they can isolate you just through economic um, disruption. 
and and that's a very real thing and it always starts small things you know and sometimes i think we think but you know you're dependent on a man and it's not necessarily that yeah. even the most independent or people i could say who are in a good financial standing can still fall prey to abuse because sometimes it looks like the partner might not be the one who has the financial muscle but they will exploit and run down your own financial standing just to bring you down to a particular level if you don't mind i just want to add um there are two things there are two things here that we are maybe perhaps just missing the one being that it's not necessarily a partner who has the financial means mm-hmm. to manipulate you sometimes very often very powerful mm-hmm. women fall prey to men and this is what we've seen on social media of people talking about the experiences sometimes very often i as a ceo of a company fall in madly in love with someone who perhaps is of a lower income bracket than i am and systematically that person sabotages my finances absolutely and that's the other side of it where you know women go take out loans for men and take out ticket credit cards for men and you know uh, oh it's his birthday i want to get him a ps4 and and you know you being coerced into doing all of these things because you feel oh i want to spoil him he deserves it he loves me so well he doesn't cheat so i want to do these things so very often you are slowly but surely coerced into these situations and then secondly something i read and i i apologize if the writer of that article is listening but um in the mail and guardian there was this um article just basically summarizing a report um on the state of fatherhood which is a, a very recent report by the Sisonke Gender Justice um association uh, organization um in collaboration with University of Stellenbosch and the Human Science Research Institute I think but it said that or while well, the findings of the report said that even withholding social grant money from women not giving them access that is gender based violence but i think the biggest one is is um child maintenance how how men how men manipulate women to do what they want um them to do or they prescribe what needs to be done with the money that they pay for child maintenance they use it as a tool to manipulate to to um coerce women into very tricky situations so I mean this I'm sure there's a myriad of other examples that people can make and perhaps someone in the audience has a different story that they we have mentioned but it is it it goes deep and as as abuse goes there's no one fits all kind of way that it looks like but you know you know I'm being abused you know that this is not right yeah and I think you do make a very yeah. important point um you know in terms of that we sometimes think of disenfranchised women who are you know at someone else's beck and call but it definitely does happen um the other way and i think we are going to touch on that a bit later mm-hmm. many of us especially with with the change of uh, the economic change with a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. being given to women um there's been a huge shift in terms of different layers of economic abuse or mm-hmm. financial abuse if you've just joined our conversation um it's hashtag here voice and if you want to take a friend if you want to invite a fellow sister friend or a brother who needs to be informed and who needs to join this particular engagement please do tag at standard bank za um mara i want to come back to you um and yes. 
what you know Romantha and Dineo have been talking about in terms of the financial independence and abuse. I think for me, I'm very, very much, um, you know, especially within your situation and you reflecting on your experience and having opened your um, your world of experience to all of us, what would you say are the biggest cause of women staying in abusive relationships? Do you agree with Romantha and Dineo or are, are there other factors that we really need to also consider beyond uh, just this particular you know, some of the issues that they've raised in this regard? Well, um, I think it's a very, very important uh, a point that we're discussing. So first of all, for any of you that are interested, I've just made a brochure. In fact, it only was delivered this week from the print shop called Leaving an Abusive Relationship. So anybody who wants it, you can text me on this uh, group and I'll, I'll um, email it to you. So thank you for asking that absolutely vital question. Um, statistics show that it takes a woman seven times to leave an abusive relationship. And those are international statistics. We don't have them for South Africa, but we know that it takes very, very long. And so there are a whole group of reasons people don't leave. So I would like to start off by saying, because I stayed too long, I was nearly killed. And so I'm very conscious of why we stay too long. But some of them are that we are have given up our independence to become part of the unit and we've lost touch with it. So many of the women, while we're talking about financial abuse, many women um, haven't got their own banking account. So when I am speaking with someone who is thinking of leaving, I start off with, the, and obviously this is not a life-threatening situation because if you are in a life-threatening situation, you leave. You leave, you keep alive. But if you're not in a life-threatening situation and you need to start, you need to start to regain your individuality because abuse actually squeezes that away from you. And you need to collect, so you need to open a bank account and you need to collect, you know how many women don't even have their marriage certificate or the a copy of the lease agreement of the house in which they're staying. So I have a list of documents that I give people and I say, let's start going through this. So the first thing you do is all of the, those various um documentation because if you're going to go to court if you're going to split your goods you have to have the paperwork then one of the other things that i do is because men of a woman have often lost their independence so what are you going to do if you haven't worked for 20 years or you married straight from school and you've been a housewife which is a very noble profession but you have no skills and most likely, often, when you do leave a relationship, they may reluctantly pay child maintenance, but maintenance for you is generally not on the cards. So what are you going to do? So you need to encourage the person, so and answer your question, why don't people leave? How are they going to live? So we need to actually encourage people, help them to get a course go to a call center, learn to type, whatever the, 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 the right place is. Maybe she studied to be a nurse, help her to be, get a receptionist job. And then one of the other reasons that I found totally amazing when I was in that place 
is that nobody offered to help me. As you correctly said, one of my fellow uh, ladies said earlier, everybody can give you advice. You know, yes, he was a bad guy and I did need to leave him, but nobody told me how to do it. You know, you need to actually decide to leave and tell him. So how do you leave it if you've got to share the goods? Your, uh, you were from home and together you bought all the stuff. So you have to look at the paperwork, which is why I said, how did you marry? Or have you a cohabitation agreement? And if Labola was paid, what will happen with it? Do your parents have to pay it back? We ha- we web the we weave these very complicated webs around ourselves that indeed are meant to comfort us, but quite often trap us in unhappy marriages. But also, what happens is people are just not kind. So someone can say to you, "No, he's a terrible man. He's a womanizer. He's got girlfriends. He drinks, whatever." But nobody says. I've got a cottage at my house or a spare room in my flat. You are welcome to come because people actually are not involved. So I always encourage Mm. people to be involved. Mm. Mm. No, definitely. And I think you're tapping on something, Mara, that it's, it's probably easier for people who have support and people who have tools and information for them to, find or easily find their way out of an abusive relationship. Um, Romanda, I just want to tap into something because we already touched on it. Um, There's a culture within this popular culture of bless us, right? Mm -hmm. And I want us, and I would like also if maybe, you know, you can also chip in. Where do we draw a line, right? What's your personal take when it comes to this blesser culture? And, and yes, often it's between a younger girl and an older guy who's mm-hmm. going to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want us to also acknowledge that we've also seen how, um, you know, on so many occasions that, um, you know, it could be an older woman to a younger, you know, man mm-hmm. or a younger boy. So what's your take, um, Dineo, on this particular issue, if you can just chip in and 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 yeah, what, what's your take on the blesser culture? So I think it's very important um, when we think about these sort of um, I- I massive power dynamics and relationships uh, to to take into consideration the social, um, you know, the social environment or the, 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 the circumstances under which it happens. You know, a lot of the times when we think about blessers and, you know, when young girls or y- young men are, are, are talking about their experiences of abuse, uh, we tend to blame them for it. Um, You're a like of things, you like things, you did it, you you know, you brought it upon yourself. We -hmm. never actually, you know, take into consideration that one, outside of the economic dynamic, Mm -hmm. there is an age gap. Grooming is a very serious thing. And, you know, grooming Mm -hmm. is something that adults, knowing full well Mm -hmm. that they are taking advantage Mm -hmm. of somebody who is very malleable, who is very easily swayed because and impressionable because you are bringing all these nice and shiny things to them. Mm. Um, We never hold those people accountable for seeking out 
people that they can very easily manipulate and prey and, on. And, and prey on. And I think that 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 is where f- perhaps I, I differ with quite a lot of people. For me, the responsibility lies with the perpetrators. It lies with the person who very intentionally goes out and looks for people that they find, I can groom this person, I can start treating them as one, two, three, and eventually mm. I'll get them under my control. And yes, we do need to empower and educate and you know give the right information, but we also need to hold the people with the know-how, the adults, the people who are making the decisions, the, the, the people calling the shots, essentially in these dynamics, responsible because you know it'll be one girl, one young man, and then when that one is when they're done, they move on. Yeah. And they move on. They really do. And it'll always be, they are the consistent factor and they're just leaving, in their wake, they're just leaving a trail of destruction and people that they've they've completely stripped of their independence, individuality, etc. So it does become a matter of we're going to need some adults, and usually it is adults, to take responsibility for the fact that I am a person who seeks out intentionally people who are very weak or I perceive as weak. And I take advantage of that. And I use my economic um, stature, um, my age, my experience, whatever you want to call it. Because sometimes I think we think blesses are, or, or we only focus on like older and they drive fancy cars, taxi drivers, people, you know, sometimes because it, depending on the social context and depending on where you are, 20 rand can be yep. a meal tonight or not. Yeah. And therefore, mm. 20 rand is a very powerful grooming, you know, tool. Um, And, and we, we don't think, and, mm. you, you know, you're sort of like, but it's 20 rand. But for somebody, it's a 20 rand is a lot of money. And yeah. so we, we really need to start examining the fact that there are people who recognize that in this system, in this very ill space and you know south africa we've got a huge inequality problem mm. and sometimes we think you know because um we we want to segment the poor and just leave them to their devices even mm. in those dynamics where 20 and 50 rand is the tool in that space between those two people that 100 rand that doesn't seem like much is a very very big pull factor i i True. i absolutely agree with you there, there's nothing I can dispute there. There's only stuff that I can add. Um, I can, I can definitely, I can agree with you on all points, but I do think this conversation is so broad. Mm. As much as we're trying to narrow it down, if you if you just look at the factors that contribute to women being placed in in these different scenarios, uh, falling prey to these predators, if if you look at the the build up to that point these a are very young impressionable young women who recognize that being young and having a, a body that looks a certain way that is currency mm-hmm. and and a big a big part of the problem is how how we how we praise these kind of things mm-hmm. um, as a society so a we add to it as well. It's not just the men um, that are in these positions. We we sort of fuel the fire um, that tells women that, you know, this is my currency and this is what I'm using. So not all of these women are, are necessarily preyed on in the way that 
uh, perhaps Dineo described, sometimes these are actually women who go out and say, I have very nice assets and I'm definitely going to use it to my economic advantage. And for one, I say power to you, number one. I say if you knowingly, with all of the facts, if you go into a situation like that and you know that you it's a transactional relationship and we are both benefiting, power to you. So I'm definitely also not here to sit and judge, but I will add that it is a toxic dynamic. That is undisputable. Because even in because even in the most if he's the most kind of sugar daddy or he's the most um, upstanding man in the community, he's married, he doesn't leave you, he, you know, he doesn't hassle you, he doesn't, you know, abuse you physically or otherwise, it is still a toxic dynamic. And I, w- I, will, not, I will not sit here and, and say, power to you, go and sell your body. Um, power, to, power to you if you go into that with, uh, with all of the knowledge. Um, we yeah, also have to, yes, yes, and we also yeah. have to recognize that uh, sometimes our communities play such a big, big, big role. And this this goes broader than just the bless you culture. This goes even to the point of child marriages. I, I'm, a, I'm a journalist by profession, and I did a story in 2018 um, that, that found that, I speak under correction, but 91,000, I actually made a note of it. But 91,000 child marriages are reported. And if you look at the cause of that, it is it is people from rural areas who are poor and who are selling their daughters to these men for money because they benefit. And the cycle of abuse just keeps on going because families tell women, go back. Go back and fix your marriage with your husband because they know they benefit from that. They benefit from your husband and his cars and the money that he sends home. And so it is not necessarily only these women that are trapped, but it's the families that are trapped. They are trapped in the cycle of this man keeps the lights on. You better make sure he's happy. Mm. And so, True. yeah, the, the problem the problem is mm. not just as, as f- at face value what we think it is. There are so many more social um, factors to take into account and very often it's not as easy as saying yeah but you you have matric you could just go we know we have a unemployment record high unemployment rate how are these women going to p- give their cvs and be turned back with a degree we know how many graduates are sitting at home with degrees if you've been studying chemical engineering and you sit at home in your mother's house for five years your mother's going to become fed up with you being in that house. She's going to say, make a plan. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's the easy way out, but we mm-hmm. have to take all of the build-up factors into account that get women to mm-hmm. that point. And I we, suppose we every case is different, we, right? We every do case. have to. Sorry, um, Mara. I was saying, and I suppose, and you're going to chip in now, Mara, that every case, I suppose then, Romanta, what you're saying is that it differs or every oh, yeah, study sure. case or every experience. Um, and, and as such, we cannot judge it and look at it from one face value. Yeah. Um, but what constantly I hear and what I heard between you and now is accountability. Mm-hmm. That in us, in probably, you know, um, uh, dealing with uh, the, the person who's been abused, mm-hmm. um, the survivor, and the perpetrator that we need to hold yeah. and look at each case study so that we are able to hold the one who's supposed to be accountable, accountable. Mara, you wanted to chip in. I'm giving you an opportunity, my dear. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to talk about blesses a little more because 
because only two weeks ago I was having a discussion with a very uh, one of the senior lecturers at UJ, and um, I was saying how blesses you know are a difficulty because of the financial aspect. And then she uh, put a view across to me that I'd never really discussed before. And it was that, where does that abuse start? Does it start when your child gets metric, applies for university and come, gets accepted at one of the universities, but you as a, a rural person don't understand the requirements of her move? And she doesn't have enough money to live. So sometimes it becomes a transactional necessity. Yeah. As much as it's horrifying for me, mm-hmm. let's face mm-hmm. it, sometimes it, it is a survival method. Mm. And I suppose it's what uh, Romantha and Dinoa are talking about, that we really need to look at all the different layers when we're talking about blesser culture, probably versus gold diggers, versus somebody who says, I've got assets. Mm. I belong in an entertainment industry and I know, you know, we've got a word that goes along the lines of blesser culture, which we call couch casting. That is, as girls, when you want to to, to, to climb the ladder quicker than mm. other, uh, you know, of your peers, you know, you you you, you look into certain uh, benefits or, 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 or things that you have that your other peers don't have. Uh, but I want us to, to, to bring it back to the core. What role do, do you, sister friends, think we need, right? And, 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 and that our male counterparts, our male colleagues, our male, um, you know, um, uh, brothers, our partners, our uncles, um, prominent male figures in our society, what role do we think that they can play in this struggle, because collectively we agree that we can talk among mm. ourselves, but mm. the problem doesn't lie, and the solution cannot come out of only us within this space. We we therefore need to broaden up the conversation. So in this case, um, Dineo and and after Dineo, Mara, please chip in. What role do we think men in our society need to play in the struggle to find gender-based violence? So I think, you know, it it goes back to what I said about accountability and taking responsibility, you know, um, being able to identify those, um, you know, mechanisms and saying, you know, in 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 an environment or in a society where there we speak about it all the time, the pay gap, um, you know, that we need to have a system of accountability, you know, checking self-check self-awareness but i also think you know as a collective you know there's often you know on on social media you you find these arguments around um you know what defines a good man and sometimes people who think they are nice guys but will turn a blind eye Mm. um to abusive situations will sort of shrug certain things off as but that's just how it is you know um Mm. you know you you touched on the entertainment industry you know there there is something as you know transactional promotions but the fact that we have transactional pr- uh, promotions uh, and I'll I'll call them you know um exchange of favors in order to progress in your career that environment the the mere fact of its existence implies already you're stepping in to a space where the power dynamic is not going to be in your favor 
if you're not a man, you're going to have to do things that another man wouldn't do. Because I can tell you now, as a woman who's maybe vying for a promotion and somebody asks you for a sexual favor or anything like that, they're not going to ask a guy if they're a straight guy, that is. You know, they're not. So, mm -hmm. you know, you could be toe-to-toe, you look at your CVs, you look at your qualifications, you're on equal footing, maybe even ahead. But by virtue of you being a woman, somebody feels that I can actually take advantage of this because you want something and only I can give it to you. And that the, the mere existence of that environment is where men need to step in and call each other out. Um, and stop perpetuating those things. So I think it it, it does require, we, we can talk about it, and we have. We've mm -hmm. been speaking about it ad nauseum, you know, but there needs to be a point where men are starting to check each other on what they're letting slide, the moments that they look away, the moments that they pretend something isn't happening, or it's just how it is, or I really can't do anything about it. And then we don't talk about it. We just, it's something that's done. Mm. We all know about it. It's an open secret, but no one actually takes the necessary steps to stamp it out. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I, I recently read a very, uh, I thought it was quite a humorous article in one of the local papers talking about the culture where um, very executive men, and I'm not talking blesses now in the sense of someone at university, where high-profile um, businessmen also have a mistress, and I'm using that word, um, who is kept by them. They keep her in a flat and whatever. And it, it was talking about the culture of competition. You know, my ones are this one and your ones mm -hmm. are that one. And I don't think that we're going to stop the blesser culture um, of at a executive type level where the men have the disposable um, income to do that until other men shame them because mm. they're all vying. They yeah. all think it's clever. So yeah. what we're looking at is the change in, in thinking mm -hmm. that will lead the behavioral change. Mm. I I definitely I definitely mm. agree with you there, Mara. Uh, I think one of the most toxic codes that men have is the bro code, and and that yes. that keeps the cycle of violence going because everyone keeps yeah. silent. What mm -hmm. happens in Ve what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Boys will be boys. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, that's how it is. Yeah, and uh, I think no, I think men have. And I say this, it's a very wide blanket statement, so uh, pardon me if you feel touched, but um, I, I, feel, I feel there is this sense of respectability towards men, men on men, respectable, respectability politics, that they would rather respect another man than speak up against abuse that might claim a life. Mm. Mm. And that is, that is the, that is the real... That is the real issue. That's the real problem. That you rather not tell Mike about his business because you and Mike are going to play golf next week, Friday. Mm -hmm. And if you tell Mike now, Mike, I saw your wife with a blue eye, then golf yeah. might be out next week. So, yeah. so it's, it's, oh, it is, it's just nauseating speaking mm -hmm. about this because it really, really goes so much deeper than just the blue eye. Mm -hmm. Women are found in freezers. Women are found in ditches. Women are found in shallow graves. 
children are found. And it's by men they know. And and, and it, this pain, this um, the, the, the issue of femicide within a society is inflicted by, you know, by, by, by people they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's by people they know. It's a next door neighbor. It's a guy yes. who is from the post office that is a public servant. It is, yes. you know, we, we can name it. Napo, um, if I... If I can just say on that point, on that point, any corporate company that's listening, any business owner that's listening and has a marketing department, anyone that works in marketing, stop purporting this message that only real men rape. Because that therein lies our problem. Mm -hmm. I hear it all the time on the radio. Real men don't abuse. Real men don't rape. It's real men that do it. It's the priest. It's the doctor. It's Mm -hmm. the pharmacist. it's, It's the community leader. It's... It's my uncle. It's it's real men. These are not fictitious characters from Monsters. a movie or from social media. Uh, I, I the other day I'm, I've just scrolled past a TikTok a ver- that upset me so much to my core. I am actually quite shaking saying this. It is a very very popular podcast, and I don't want to come on here and bash anyone, but anyone will know when I speak about it. They were talking about the blesser culture, and they had a blesser who takes women to Dubai on the show and this man was speaking about the most vulgar things that they do and the podcaster and his co-host was sitting there laughing from their bellies at women being defecated on at women being urinated on no no they they were sitting there laughing and and trying to hold him to account but in a ah bra come on man come on man way and for them that was holding that man accountable Firstly, they gave him a platform and people had to listen to that rubbish. I don't want to swear on here. But that's not all. Literally two days later, I saw a a very famous actor, he used to act in Generations, speak about, ah, gents, you know, uh, when, and I'm doing the voice because I'm really annoyed. Um, Ah, gents, we, uh, uh, you know, when she she blue ticks you. You know what you should do? Send her an e-wallet and reverse the money or send her an e-wallet and withhold mm-hmm. withhold the mm-hmm. pin so that she comes to you and speaks to you. Is that a way to teach young men how to treat women? You're a man in your 40s oh, and this is still the way that you think. You're a public figure and this is still the way that you think. And you would be surprised that the Me Too culture did not even make a dent in men's consciousness. They're not scared to be cancelled. Mm-hmm. They're not. Mm-hmm. Do you know that and I suppose in the, in the last years um, or a couple of months, especially during lockdown, if you look at the stats, this uh, you know within the pandemic and everything, um, if you look at the stats, they are they are horrible, they are scary, and not just within the South African context, across the continent and the world, the the, the element of and, and and just the gearing up of the monster of abuse mm-hmm. and women being abused, I think really was a reality check. And, and really didn't say only it happens in the villages, it happens within a, you know, a poor family. It was across. It happened between the most learned and very most informed people. But I want ladies to, to, to extend as we are, we are heading up for, for closure to talk about mental health, uh, mental health. Mm. You know, we're talking about finances, we're talking about abuse, but also there's so much after effects. I want to ask you, Mara, how much work is needed to tackle mental health issue in our society, especially when it comes to gender-based violence, and also 
for yourself as a survivor who, you know, is an epitome. The fact that you hear and you're having witness, you allow all of us to, to know that it's possible to live, to get out. But the mental health issues that you've had to deal with within that, you know, on a daily basis, away from us, away from the social media, away from this engagement, do you, can you tap into it and just share briefly with us um, so that I can bring in Romantha and Gineo again? Of course. And thank you for asking that question. It's extremely valid. So first of all, I want to speak about tears from the aspect of what we do to help women because mental health and dealing with the fact that you were raped or abused or and it could be any kind of abuse is extremely extremely difficult because people tend to be patronizing some of you've said the words like pull yourself together or whatever so the first thing that i teach people is that abuse never goes away so imagine a marble in the bottom of a jar um, for that abuse to become irrelevant, you've got to fill the jar with a lot of other things till the marble is so small in comparison to what the jar holds that it's insignificant, but it never goes out of the bottle. So the first thing that we've got to do as women with regards to abuse is make our life meaningful to ourselves, to our life, to get up. I had to learn to – I was um, – going to go overseas to stay with a friend to recover because I was so broken. And I realized that I'd been hiding away in my house and I hadn't been putting on makeup and doing my hair and that I'd got out of touch with the styles. So I went to a shop uh, and I, I, I booked a, a person, they did training to teach me. And the young lady, obviously I wasn't going to tell her my personal stuff, a very young, beautiful young lady, um, she said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. When I sat down, she gave me a, a, a form, and if she did blue on my eyebrow, I wrote blue, put a colored it in blue, so I would have like a show-and-tell thing when I got home. And she said, I can't help you. You're crying too much. What's the matter? Am I doing something wrong? And I said, no, I'm so ugly. Who will ever love me again? And I sat there and wept. And then I realized I have to live for me. I have to be able to look in that mirror and say to myself, you're okay, girl, you can make it. And so mental health is vitally important. And 20 years ago, I can talk about it as if it was yesterday. People, there hadn't been the U2 movement. People didn't help you. And people would say, pull yourself together or, you know, get some pulls to have a good night's sleep. And I mean, really, it's about self-reflection and becoming something that you want to be because you've lived your life through or for somebody else. So at tears, if we have people really battling, and I've had a lot of stories, I hope we get together and I can share some of them. I also send them to a counsellor that I've worked with for 40 years. And I get, I get them online counseling privately in their homes. They have a Zoom meeting with a qualified person and more if they need it. So I think we neglect the emotional side of any kind of abuse, whether it's been picked on in the office or shouted at by your husband or raped. And so that's what I try to do. I put my arms mm -hmm. around people. 
Romantha, dope black um, constantly, and I, I do believe that it advocates for for therapy. Yeah. Um, do you want to chip in in terms of in terms of mental health and what your organization and your community do? I mean, you know, does in in terms of contributing and encouraging a lot of black um, community members to go for therapy? Because I know for one, you know, I come from a family that you know uh, you're in pain. Mm. You deal with it. Mm. You are being abused. You deal with it. You know, you are in a horrible marriage. You stay in it, mm. right? Mm. Yes. You stay yes. in those spaces. Yes. You want to just please, um, yeah. and, and as we're about to close, just invite, I invite you now to tell me about what have you done as dope. Yeah. Just to, I, I'll try and summarize, but um, just to be clear, as dope black, we, we do not, we do not, um, uh, possess any counselors or psychologists on hand to help people professionally but we do encourage taking care of your mental health um whether that is seeking professional help whether that is having open discussions whether that is having one-on-ones um very often as i said it's very therapeutical telling your story and having a soundboard to someone who has no prior background and history of what you have been going through so same as a th- as a therapist, I'm not saying it's solution driven, but it does help in terms of hearing your own thoughts about yourself. And so speaking to yes. someone who might not necessarily have answers for you. And I think very often as people who are not professionally trained, we try and give women advice from a very high, airy, fairy narrative that we've heard somewhere when in actual fact, we are not professionals. The only thing that we can do is be a soundboard and try and get the necessary resources for you to get help. And as friends, as family, we try to fix situations and it's a natural instinct for you to want to jump and say, come and stay with me, come and do this, but it's not a long-term fix. And so Mm. professional help, we know it's inaccessible to so many people. Therapy sessions go from minimum 700 rand up. And, and that's True. actually the real thing that we should be advocating for. Just as reproductive health should be prioritized and we make condoms free, just so we should make oh, services of quality. I'm not talking about a yeah. therapist that's going to sit and say, oh, oh. And remember, there are different kinds of therapists mm-hmm. as well. They are behavioral yeah. therapists and those people are, yes, trained but they need to be subsidized by government in order to render their services to people who need it most because the basic level therapy that people get that are free do not target the problem and in most cases those therapists who sit there have their biases and cannot separate that from Mm -hmm. their work so sometimes even those services are inaccessible inaccessible for people of the lgbtqia community for instance um people who are not christians for instance um Sometimes very often those biases come through and you walk out of that session more guilt-ridden, more confused. Whereas if you've had a behavioral therapist or a behavioral cognitive therapist or even a psychoanalytical therapist, you would get to the root of the problem. And so we advocate for that, um, but we also know that it's inaccessible. And so in our advocacy, we need to make sure that the money that is spent is spent on the actual proper services. Yes, thank you. You know, I want us to close with a spark of light. What role do you feel money plays in creating future generations of happier, healthier people? Is there hope, you know, um, especially based on this conversation? Just 
briefly um what what do you you know um what's your take and and what's your contribution in leaving us with the spark as we are about to close Thank you, Napo. So I think um, one of the things around, you know, money and, you know, money, the goal, it's it's something that we chase and, um, you know, financial wellness is something that we chase, but it doesn't happen overnight. And I think in the context of everything that we've been discussing, it absolutely is possible, you know, to, to emerge from a situation where you were financially abused, um, to, to come out abused in any other way, come out and come out strong. However, I think it's very important to one, in the process of leaving and rebuilding in that, um, you know, from coming from that situation, to just be kind to yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, and understand that it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a month. It's going to take years. I mean, a person who just... Outside of any relationship drama, just getting out of debt is its own headache. So you can imagine with now that emotional and psychological burden. So I think it is very important to be kind to yourself. Take stock. You know, I always say when when you're starting and you're preparing to leave, you know, an abusive situation, take stock of your finances and then go and get the information you need in order to make the right decisions. For instance, Standard Bank has, you know, it, it's yeah. generally, we we always speak about it in the context of somebody who is in a dire uh, debt situation. But if you're, if you're coming out of a situation where uh, somebody has exploited you financially, that is an avenue. Mm. Our debt assist program is an avenue you can use to be able to just say, you know, I need a couple of months just to get it together, I need a bit more disposable income. What are my options? What can I do? That in and of itself. And, you know, you might sit and the plan might, when you look at it, you'll be like, oh, my goodness, I'll only be okay after three years. But you know what? It's a start. And I think that's the very important thing. It's a start. And starting somewhere, walking towards the light is what's very important, you know. Um, so, yeah, get a, a, a good sense. Thank you, ladies. I mean, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I, I can't even say much more better, you know, and I know, um, you know, we can, th- this conversation, not only is it important, but it's also a game changing and like mm-hmm. um, such a, an amazing way that Standard Bank uh, ZA, you know, has allowed um, this amazing phenomenal woman to be part of the panel discussion. Um, and so I want to thank each and every one of you. Um, I think I'm inspired. My eyes are open. My my, my heart is moved. I know what I need to not just advocate for, even as a creative uh, woman, but also what I can share going into the space of my, my industry. Mm. Um, so sister friends, ladies, and all our amazing audiences and listeners across the social media, thank you so much for joining us today. Standard Bank will definitely share on the social media different, um, you know, um, helpline information, the list that we can pass, we can tag, we can share with those who have not found the spark to leave an abusive relationship. On that note, can we create a safer South Africa for our women and children? It can be. Hashtag hear her voice. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, everybody. Else. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Nice to meet you soon again. Another one. <laughs>